Welcome to the VOD TV podcast. Today we'll hear from Chad Roop of Ponderosa and John Green of New Lisbon Holdings. We caught up with them at NTCA's 2023 R-Time event. These two respected leaders of long-established broadband operators call for the enforcement against providers that make false claims before the FCC. They contend that these claims threaten to take money away from communities lacking broadband. They also point out that the low-density nature of rural areas means the sustainability of ongoing operations is a challenge. Along those lines, they propose an approach for restructuring the contribution aspects of the Universal Service Fund. We just heard a great panel about being funding, but one of the comments that was made, and, and John here reiterated as an important comment, and is the idea of enforcement and the uh, of mapping and putting accurate or maybe inaccurate information. So, uh, Chad, why don't you talk about your comment, and then, John, I'll have you kind of reflect on what he said, and we're just going to have a conversation here. Sure. sure. I, what I've seen is that companies have tried to claim that they are providing service at the NTI level of the service, which is 100 megabits down per second, 20 megabits per second up. And they do that in order to block anybody else from coming into that area and receiving any federal funds. And what it ends up doing is it ends up punishing the communities that don't really truly have service, yet these providers are claiming that they're already providing that service. So it senses, sentences these communities to permanently not get what they need to be able to thrive. And so it's truly, uh, a crime against these communities. Uh, these are reports that are submitted to the Federal Communications Commission, and it's truly a crime that these entities are submitting false reports to the federal government. And so I'm very glad to see that the FCC has started to look at enforcement of some of these false reports that have been submitted by some of these providers. And it's well documented on many of these. Um, and it, it's this is creating a spotlight of these false reports now, because it used to be that they were following the FCC's guideline on the Form 477, which we all knew uh, was fake news, as, as many has, has commented before. But the issue is, is that now they're submitting more detailed reports and still claiming false reports on these uh, federal submissions. And so we need to have that enforcement against these Absolutely. communities or against these entities. Excuse me. And John, you gave a great example. You came up afterwards and gave an example. I don't, I, you probably don't want to get into too much of the specifics, but it really reinforced this point. So, so there's a lot of, a lot of specific examples out there. One that we run into, uh, ran into recently was we lost out on a grant at the state level because a, a company that will be nameless uh, had filed a challenge. And even though I was able to provide documentation against that challenge because of the way the grant program was set up, they couldn't accept that. Fast forward a year later with the BDC mapping out and that very same company that said they provided service in that area now mysteriously doesn't have any service. So it's clear that they falsified the data for their challenge because the FCC map says they have no service in that area. Uh, there was a recent instance in uh, Ohio where one company falsified data to keep another company from building in, and they said, well, we're going to build it soon. Well, that doesn't count 
you know, if you look at the FCC's requirement, you have to be able to provide service within 10 days. That doesn't mean next year or two years from now. And just like Chad said, the problem is that if we continue to let companies falsify that data and block out areas from being eligible for whether it's a state grant, whether it's reconnect or bead, then when all the money is spent, those communities, those rural areas are going to remain without good broadband service, and there's not going to be any additional funding down the road. So it's, it behooves all of us to push back and say, hey, this is falsifying document. I think you said it best. That's probably against the law. You know, should they be prosecuted? Potentially. But at the very least, they should be made to clean that up and, and get that money where it needs to be spent, where people really need good broadband. As you point out, this is really a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And, and, and Chad, uh, you bring a very unique perspective, having worked on the federal side to help allocate the money and stuff. And, and, and one of the things that touched uh, you, you touched upon was the idea of um, the federal liaison, uh, that they actually can help. Uh, so why don't you maybe talk to that? Yeah, uh, it's difficult to get some permitting through sometimes, and it's difficult to generate the urgency of what is needed in someone who doesn't see the urgency of the need. And so oftentimes people who work in um, a different governmental agency, they may um, have other priorities. And so we're missing deadlines, we're missing um, the opportunity to be able to move a project forward because of not having a permit for approval or uh, concurrence in something. And so it makes it really difficult to uh, to move forward. And so by utilizing the resources on a government to government consultation, that allows us as providers to be able to um, get the sense of urgency and the level of respect that we deserve and our communities deserve when another entity may not see the urgency without that government to government consultation. And you, uh, gosh, took on the challenge, probably one of the biggest challenges in California, right? There's, you have really tough terrain, but you also have challenging regulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, very, very interesting and oftentimes frustrating to have to work through the bureaucracy in a very hostile environment when you're just trying to provide service to your communities. So. And, and John, you guys in Indiana, you've been doing this forever, and, and it seems like you've made lots of great progress. I mean, you know, Indiana, you're connected, the various operators. You know, what, what's your insight on, on you know, how, how do you take this moment in time, this money that's coming in and, and really do the best for the country? Well, like, like we said earlier, you know, and, and we've reiterated very, very many times, the first thing is the mapping. You've got to get that right. You've got to, to be able to point out the pockets that can't get broadband and make sure that the money is spent in the right areas. We don't want to overbuild existing networks. We don't want to spend money where it's not necessary. We don't want to gold play things. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've seen at the state level, and I won't say it's a mistake, but it could be, is that once the grant is fulfilled, the only requirement they have is speed testing. So show me that you're getting the, the right speech to the customers. 
but there's no follow through like you would get, say, with an RUS loan or something like that that says we're going to go out and inspect it. We're going to make sure that, that everything is built to code and that it's built to where it's going to be resilient and sustainable for the next 20, 30 years. Uh, we, we heard of, of an instance recently where a, a grant recipient literally built a fiber pole line under a rural electric co-ops pole line. Set the poles under the high voltage tension lines, which is in violation of so many federal and state codes. Right. But because there's no follow-up, they're probably going to get away with it. So they've created a hazardous situation, and there's no follow-through to say, wait a minute, you can't do that. So we've got to make sure that the money is spent in the right locations, but we also have to make sure that the money is spent the right way and that we're not building vaporware, we're not building something that's going to fall apart in five years, and then they're going to be back wanting more money to rebuild it. Yeah, and Mike kind of mentioned that as far as some of the earlier efforts where it would just be, you know, 10 one, 21, and you're just kind of putting lipstick on the pig, as they say, right? Absolutely. It, which leads to, and Chad, you brought this up and you just kind of alluded to it, the sustainability from an ongoing operations that you can, you know, afford to maintain that network. Yeah, I, there's been so much focus on capital expenditure, but what hasn't been focused upon is contributions into the Universal Service Fund, which is the annual operating support as a carrier of last resort that we received to offer these services as a private entity for public purpose into these rural communities. Without that support, it makes it very difficult to run a business and make it a viable offering. And so it's very critical that that fund is continuing to be supported. And what we've seen is, is that the reduction in landlines, which is the only method for providing that support currently into the Universal Service Fund, becomes less and less every year. So what we need to have is we need to have the 75% of the data users or providers of data, which are the Googles, the Facebooks, the Netflix, that are providing it into these communities, they need to stop getting a free ride and they need to start contributing into the Universal Service Fund so that we can continue to offer the infrastructure and make it a viable business into these rural communities so that the people who live in these communities can truly benefit of the infrastructure that is a private entity we're providing into those communities. Yeah, because you know you may have fiber in there, but you still, you're gonna have cuts, you're gonna have things that happen, right, that you don't, you don't want to happen, but they do, right? Right, yeah, and in the end, you still have to be able to run the business. It's It's gotta be a business that makes sense. You know, we are a regulated entity in a lot of respects, and so we have to make sure that we're adhering to certain regulatory requirements of offering those services to those communities, and in the end, they need it. Yep. And so we need to be there in the end, and the only way we can do that is with the proper ongoing operational support. Doesn't matter how much capital you put into something, you still have to have the operating capacity to deliver it over the long term. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that, you know, to the, the two points to address, number one is the USF support. Just because you build a network doesn't mean you can continue to operate it and maintain it. There's a lot of misunderstanding on Capitol Hill that we're going to spend $42 billion to build networks. What else do you need? Yeah. Well, we're still talking about networks in areas that have maybe one or two or three people per square mile. And if we want to keep those rates low enough that they're affordable, you have to have that universal support. It's not like providing broadband in a subdivision of 2,000 people right. where it's very close and densely populated. It's a whole different ballgame. The, the second thing is, is, is you talk about, uh, about the whole idea of, of 
using Google and Netflix and Facebook and the users of the majority of the bandwidth to contribute back to the Universal Service Fund, I like to equate that to our interstate system. Who pays the most in road use taxes? Uh, trucking companies, I think, right? The, the, the big trucks. Yeah. Well, you don't hear them complaining, saying, well, wait a minute, I have to pay more than a Toyota Prius. Why is that? It's the same thing as it is with broadband. The, the company that uses the majority of it should have to pay a little bit more. It's so I've been proposing or pushing the idea of, well, what, what if we tax the devices? Uh, you know, anything that had a MAC address, right? As, you know, it, it's interesting. People talk about 5G. I, I follow this job yeah, it's volume. something I, I think is important to, to discuss 5g does not solve america's connectivity problem at all I, no. I can't say that loud enough or common enough everybody thinks that 5g is going to solve it all it will not it does not give us the sustainability the long-term future-proof connectivity needs it, it, it doesn't solve the problem. Well, it, period. And I'll give you a good example. And, and again, the, the company will remain nameless. But in, in this area, I literally lose my 5G signal when I go from one room to another. I've dropped yeah. phone calls. I've had no Internet. That's great. If I had the other carrier, right. then I would have good. But 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 just because you have 5G doesn't mean that I can take 5G from Chicago and get it in San Diego or get it in the Mojave Desert or anywhere else. So 5G is not ubiquitous. I'm not sure that it ever will be in the rural area simply because the, the uh, spectrum that they're using is not capable of doing that. So it's not a panacea. Yeah. And where I was going with that, well, I happened to have that as a device, but I was thinking anything that had a MAC address, so like a PC or whatever, if you had a, a, a little surcharge on there that was charged, you know, wherever in the supply chain, and then that money went back to feed broadband. But really, you have to look at who are the people who are... Uh, using the data yeah. or, or providing the data yeah, and profiting from it. Sure. And 75% of it that goes into the rural communities are the Googles, the Facebooks, the Netflix. They need to be willing to pay. Yeah. Yeah. There, there seems to be this misunderstanding in, in, you know, among some groups, a lot of these, uh, these lobbying groups that, well, it's a tax on the Internet. No, it's really not a tax on the Internet. What it is is it's a pay for play. Yeah. You know, if you want to use this bandwidth and you're going to use 75% of it, you should support the efforts to get that bandwidth. And, and, and quite frankly, from a consumer standpoint, you would think these companies would go, yeah, that's a good idea because if we have better broadband out there, then like in the case of Facebook, I can start offering, you know, the, the, the augmented reality and the virtual reality to more consumers because now they have better bandwidth and they're able to partake of this. So you would think from a PR standpoint that a lot of these corporations would support that because it benefits their customers in the end. And it's different because where you guys are located, it's so far away it's not like you're at a period point in the middle of the city where it would be a different story that's true yeah you know that gets the whole discussion of supporting rural communities rural communities are what feeds fuels and provides the very clothing that we live on as a world i mean you look at the war in ukraine right now and they're talking about the food crisis where do you think all the food fiber and fuel comes from rural america and if you shut down rural america guess who's not going to be providing you the food and fuel and fiber right so you have to be very careful of really you know biting the hand that literally feeds you 
um, take care of rural America and rural America will take care of the world. Well, and one of the things that in our conversation before this was the idea that some of these edge pro uh, providers have extensive fiber networks, but if you could just get access to even those rights of ways, right? Yeah. I don't know if any of you want to address that or if either if you want to. But. Well, you know, I've, I've recently have, have been trying to get middle mile fiber in, in our part of Indiana, and there are probably seven or eight different large corporations that have fiber facilities in that I-70 corridor. None of them are willing to lease those facilities to, to companies like mine, whether it's protectionism, whether it's because they lack the uh, the adequate resources. I had one company say, well, we really don't have any surplus fiber. Yeah. I had another company that said, well, we'll lease we'll lease 10, gig, uh, uh, 10 gigabit wavelengths, but I need 100 gig. And beyond, yeah. so it's like you and know, they didn't see that need for 100 gig, right? They, which is just ironic. No, they they said 10 gig is all all you need. You know, <laughs> you're in rural America, you don't need as much as they do in urban America. But but these big companies sell the idea that we're going to go in and build fiber infrastructure middle mile, and then we'll lease it to whoever needs it until after they build it, and then the, 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 then the dialogue changes. Then the narrative is like, well, we really don't have any surplus capacity, so we can't do that. So is there enough middle mile fiber in the U.S.? I think there probably is. But it's not it's not usable. It's not accessible for small companies like ours. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's the problem. But yeah. Well, I appreciate this wide-ranging conversation, and uh, and good luck with the the bead battles. <laughs> An uphill battle. <laughs> <laughs> Great. We will win.